God the Father sent God the Son to give his life as a ransom for many. And God the Son sends out his disciples to share that news. He sent his first 12 apostles out on a short-term trip, which is recorded in Luke chapter 9. And then in Luke 10, he sends out an additional 72. And then before he's taken up into heaven uh, at the ascension, he gives a final commissioning of go and make more disciples. It's abundantly clear from Scripture that God is a sending God. And Christians are a people sent. In this week's sermon, Kelly preached on Luke 10, 1-16, where Jesus sends out his disciples, telling them to proclaim the gospel to the towns ahead. Today we'll discuss questions around this topic and more. Stay tuned from Glen Ellen Bible Church. I'm Matt Marone. I'm John Vanderveld. I'm Beth Moss. And I'm Kelly Brady, and this is episode number 174 of The Next Level. That's the sound of the morning right there. <laughs> it is morning. It's morning. been afternoon if the last few times. If our listeners could smell our set, <laughs> it's fresh brewed coffee. It's fresh brewed coffee. Fresh brewed coffee. The nectar of the gods. Shout out to <laughs> I Have a Bean. I'm brewing some I Have a Bean in the oh, back. It smells amazing. It's delicious. Uh-huh. They, do, they do a good thing. That's a... That's still a uh, a redemptive type ministry, a faith based. Uh-huh. They mm-hmm. employ felons, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really cool. Catchy name. Yeah, and uh, ev- since around since the whole COVID thing started, they uh, you know they usually do free coffee Fridays at, at the place where they brew, mm-hmm. and that you can just go in and get a cup. And now they do it every day. Really? Yeah, you can just go and get a cup. Where it's located, it, like it's Butterfield, close. Road. it's right next door to Wheaton Mulch. Yeah. Uh huh. Over by the Tower Apartments in Wheaton. Oh, it's over there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Like by yeah. Manchester ish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do our listeners need to know this? <laughs> hey, it is a ministry. Yes, it's free coffee every day. Oh, it's day. <laughs> it's it, are they ministering to you, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> they, they help every me day. minister. They give me the juice. Awesome. So, how, how are we doing? Doing well. Yeah, good. Doing well. Yeah. Sunday was beautiful as we're kind of. Remembering Sunday, and I'm betting that was our last beautiful Sunday. We have two more to do outdoors, right? The 18th mm-hmm. and the 25th. We're going to try and press through and do them outdoors. And then November 1st, we'll be in the building with a, uh, a definitive shift from outdoor ministry to indoor ministry. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we can, we can uh, last two more weeks outside, bundle up. I'm just going to say it. I'm ready to get back inside. I'm excited to get back inside. I'm excited to be yeah, back up on the platform. Agreed. I'm, re- I'm just ready. I'm ready to throw down. You can do it. it. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Too much coffee. But going inside will mean fewer people. Is that right? It'll mean so that'll fewer be per service. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to do 100 services on Sundays. Okay. <laughs> They're each going to be 10 minutes long. <laughs> 10 people a service. <laughs> 30 volunteers. So logistically, people will really need to be on top of signing up oh, and things like that. Oh, they have to like sign that. up because we have to mm-hmm. do contact tracing. I'm saying that for myself <laughs> because there's been many times where we've tried to sign up Sunday morning and yeah. Yeah. there's four spots, but we bring yeah. seven. Part of the reason that we we need to shift uh, from outdoor to indoor on a singular Sunday and make the move is mm-hmm. for volunteers and kids ministry. Sure. They, they, it's impossible for them to, for them to prep for a kind of a game time decision. Are we doing outdoor ministry? Are we doing indoor ministry? Mm-hmm. So we're excited. And they do need volunteers in children's ministry, right? Yeah. My family did some children's yeah. ministry this week and it was great. 
But yeah, they need people. John, how many people do we have outside Sunday? Do you know total? Uh, I think we had around 90 people in our first service, and uh, it was pretty chilly that yeah. first service in the morning. And then second service, we clearly had more people than the registration <laughs> spots that were available. I don't think the, the Wheaton students are signing so, up. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> several, several... Which ones uh, are those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, I mean, it was a beautiful day, yeah, and, and it work. wasn't a lot of you know intense sun, nor was it really mm-hmm. cold. So people really spread out all over the place, which was great. And mm-hmm. the beauty of the uh, day continued... On into the evening, onto Ranch Road. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the 80s yeah, was, party. It was awesome. We yeah. had a block party on Ranch Road. It went really so well. That's good. Yeah. If any of our listeners want to see a picture of Matt and Jen in their <laughs> 80s attire, text me, 630-476-2964. Text me, and I will send you an incriminating picture. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, she, the, the sad part is I've had that, what I wore, I've had that for like 10 years. She, That's exactly she, what Sherry said. You in an oh, yeah. the same thing and is, I have five. He different, has that in his closet. Uh-huh. I do. I have five of them too. Five different colors and <laughs> and uh, and Jennifer. She ordered her hers and, yeah. and Jen Brown dressed up too. She was all uh-huh. 80s out and it was cool. And awesome. then a few people came dressed up. I was gonna say, was it like uh, you? The band was dressed, the, and then everybody else kind of was normal. Or Leslie Kruger. How many people do you think were there? I don't know. Uh, you know, throughout the from start to finish, maybe a hundred. Yeah, that's okay. what I was gonna say. Like, uh-huh. we and had, it was we had forty in our front yard. It was yeah, fun. so we fun. blocked off the street, mm-hmm. and then we had all of our, the na- we set the band up in my driveway and kind of angled them out towards Kelly's house, which is mm-hmm. sort of diagonal from our house, and then all of our neighbors uh, around us uh, were were good for opening up their lawns to anybody who wanted to just come and plop a chair down and just cool. be distanced and mm-hmm. be there. And so people did. People were in each other's lawns and it was That's cool. Sweet. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. So um, one of the things you said in your sermon that I felt, you know, you could kind of feel people kind of, you know, moving around in their seats, getting a little uncomfortable. Where's he going with this? Was your church size, church preference? You went into that a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if we have any questions about that we specific, don't. but but it's a question that it, when when a, a teaching pastor brings that up, you're kind of like, oh, here we go. What are we going to talk about? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, I had a season. Uh, you know, I've been here 26 years. I had a season where I thought uh, that there were uh, better sizes of church than others, and I have I've given that up. Like I don't. I actually think it's a matter of preference, and there's no evil in a particular size. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you've got 20,000, and there are churches around the country that have 20,000, that's great as long as you're making disciples, you know, as long as you're yeah. caring for your sheep mm-hmm. and you're able, able to shepherd that flock, have at it. And then, uh, so, yeah, I just, I just think it's a matter of preference, and people have different gifting ability in teaching. Some people draw yeah. larger crowds, and that's just how it is. That's interesting. I, I met with a, a friend of mine. He's a lead pastor at a church out here and um, a couple of years ago, and he was telling me his philosophy about that. And he, he feels like once you, the church gets to a size where I don't know everybody, mm-hmm. sure, then that's too big. And yeah. so we should start another you know, campus or whatever, because I need... He, I, think, I think what he said was I need to know the... The voices of my sheep. I need to know my sheep. I need to know the mm-hmm. voices of my sheep. And right. if, if I get to a point where I don't know that, then there's a problem. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Which I is think a good that's a point. Like, what do you I think, think it's a horrible it? point. But oh, you didn't? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean he, if that's true for him. If he's implying yeah. that that's got to be true for me, then that can't. Right. I mean, he's got. Sure. That's a relational he, ca- capacity thing. Yeah. Too, I mean, because this guy some, puts some people, a high priority on one to one ministry. Yeah, apparently. Some, and some people can know, you know, 250 yeah. people and f- feel great. Other mm-hmm. people can know 40 people. Right. Like they, you know, mm-hmm. so you. Well, and then if you're a bigger church, you could have a bigger pastoral team. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And well, so and, and other ways of being. Well, some people are called to do one to one. Some are called to do one to a few. Some are called to do one to many. Some are called to preach. Some are called to teach. And then some are, I mean, I, I feel like the pastoral staff here at Glowing Bible Church has various ministries where they, some areas they excel, but they, they have other ministries where they, they don't quite excel, but they have to get that done still. Mm-hmm. You yeah. follow me? Yeah. I just. I think it was inter- it's interesting to think about church size in terms of health, um, because often we think of, wow, that huge church must be really good at doing church and like, you know, really successful if and they're prosperous. Huge, they and, must be doing it right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and then if they're, really, if they're really small, then man, they're, they're struggling mm-hmm. and must be hard for they're them. They're failing and the Lord in some Yeah, way. exactly. And, mm-hmm. and the truth is, it's really not, that's not be the, the case. Opposite, where right? It can be, it, that can be true, sure. but it can also be true that the large church is actually has a lot of, you know, pain and struggle and and maybe has has pursued you know other things to try to grow their numbers or their finances or whatever Mm -hmm. and the small church may be super faithful making disciples and sending people Mm -hmm. out and multiplying themselves and you know growing disciples deeply and Mm -hmm. so size does not the size of the church does not always indicate that it's a healthy place and doing doing healthy they're faithful yeah. Right. Well, yeah. and I feel like, Kelly, you were just a few weeks ago talking about some of the, I think you were talking about writing. Some of the most prolific authors, teaching pastors come from very small churches. Yeah. Um, Eugene Peterson, for decades, um, his, you know, his church was um, just a couple hundred, and his, his church gave him permission to spend a, a large portion of his time writing. Mm-hmm. And so he had a relatively small church. Uh, but huge impact, Mm -hmm. huge positive impact. So I should also mention there are a lot of ways to grow a church and not all healthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of ways to, um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to grow a church and not all healthy. For example, fear will grow a church. If you get a pulpit um, ministry that that creates a lot of fear, it will. It can actually grow. Anger can grow a church. I. There are some um, some folks that I'll. I think Mark Driscoll in his early days, if you're familiar with his ministry out in the West Coast, um, uh, anger in many respects I think grew his church. Not the. It's not the only thing. I think the Holy Spirit was at work there as well, but he. In fact, he he had to move on in part because of his anger. Um, so we, we need to be careful just because a church is large, um, John, you, as you said, doesn't, doesn't mean they're faithful. We need, to, we need to pay close attention to the, the culture in the church. What exactly is the, the nature of the culture? Is it, is it a gospel-centered culture? Is it a grace-based culture? Um, I said to a friend of mine recently who leads a, a fairly large church, a church of about 5,000, I said to him, um, 
um, do you ever get angry in the pulpit? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, is there any nature, any part of your, your, your pulpit ministry that's prophetic? You know, prophets, you know, were frustrated with the sin in the nation. They had anger. There's anger that's righteous anger. There's anger that's unrighteous anger. So, and he goes, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Um, so anyway, I, I guess I'm just personally reflecting that the pulpit ministry of a church needs to be a place where the whole counsel of God is taught. The grace of God is taught. The law of God is taught. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's that's true is, um, and it's not a knock or a, a pro or a con, but just a reality check, is that if you, you do grow a big church and you do have a big facility, you have to run a big facility, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So if you have a coffee shop, you got to staff the coffee shop. If mm-hmm. you have a, you know, yeah. if you have a lot of the extras, you got to staff the extras. It's one, and we have our own challenges as the size of our church, but one of the things, uh, not being a, a massive church, uh, we're able to run lean in a sense uh, in some mm-hmm. seasons where, you know, oh, only this person showed up. Okay, we can pull this off or, or whatever. Yeah. And so, anyway. I think churches should also be okay with seasons of contraction. I mean, we have our seasons of contraction here where people felt the Lord was leading them away. Um, busy, you know, everything that's alive, a living organism, has seasons of expansion and contraction where the Lord is pruning. That, well, I'll biblicize it, where the Lord is pruning uh, a ministry or a person, and there's some pain mm-hmm. that they're going through. We've had seasons of pain around here where people said, you know what, I think I'm going to, the Lord's calling me to another church. And so there was some pruning going on. And so... I, I just think that, you know, a living organism is a, is very, the church is alive. God's building it and so tending to it. So it's a complex uh, reality that requires a lot of relational sensitivity and appropriately so. So, yeah. And there was an, another question that you tackled in your sermon that someone asked you, right, about just politics, voting. <laughs> oh, I brought it up. I, I thought you were going to say that's what made people squirm. Ah, my yard I thought, Yeah, I couldn't. I can't believe you made that. That I'm not even sure what I said because it was not in my notes. I, can I tell. had not. Planned, <laughs> I had not planned to get up and make any comment on yard signs. I, so, well, let's just take a quick survey. Do you guys have yard signs? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you think it's bad to have yard signs for others? Uh, no. Okay. Not necessarily. So I, don't, would, I don't. I don't really have a. Would you put I a just sign? get annoyed no, by how many there are. Yeah. There's yeah. so many. So I, I many feel like signs. I maybe would on the local level. Oh, if, interesting. If, if a local person was running that I actually yeah. knew. backed and knew and was yeah. like, mm-hmm. man, I'm going to support this person, absolutely I would. I have a yeah. sign with my name on it, Matt. Would you put it in your yard? <laughs> <laughs> they're just, I, uh, I, I new, feel like they're uh, there forever. Uh, and then people, that, people don't take them down. And then you see the like county trucks drive around mm-hmm. and all the common areas. And like we're paying people to pick up trash, trash, yeah. these yard nice. signs after yeah. the election. It's yeah. just, but you're, you're, uh, the situation you were in was that this person wanted to sort of show their faith yeah. by they, picking they a be... certain candidate and then putting mm. their sign out. Yeah. Is that like, yes. I want to put a, I want to make a stand here. Yeah. And I think that that's risky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did think your point of, um, of um, if you're gonna, if you want people to know about your, put a Jesus sign in your yard. <laughs> <Put a Jesus laughs> like sign that, right? Because it, it doesn't necessarily currently. I mean, I think we all can agree that just be just because you put the sign of one candidate in your yard 
people driving by there, they don't necessarily know what that means. Oh, it could mean a it lot of things. It could mean something different to everybody who sees yeah, it. Yeah, like, oh, they're, they're not a Christian. They have, you know, right the Biden sign in their yard. Oh, they're a Christian. They have the Biden sign in their yard. <laughs> like, Are you guys, do you have any signs in your yard? Not, do you have? No. All right, so. We have you, a flag up. Do you have, it seems like that's controversial <laughs> these days. Jeez. An American flag? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, I, I, I've just seen the headlines. I haven't. I just refuse to, you know, delve into those articles, but, oh. you know, headlines like, you know, guy wearing American flag hat gets attacked by Antifa yeah. or whatever. It's yeah. like, you know, right. as, as if to say that just, ha- just the having flag a flag alone. is a Trump vote and that's yeah. not the case. Yeah. It's like, oh, I mean, we love living here. We love our country. Mm-hmm. We believe in that, you know, the other, we yeah. can turn it around. The other, the other thing is, you know, do they, do, are they effective? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it's just kind of seems. Like I know. I'm a little oh, more right. afraid of the like the divisions by. they might cause yeah, right now. Right. That's, exactly. That's more. Uh, in any other election, I've never thought too much about it, but in this election, yeah. I wonder if it's pitting neighbor against neighbor. Right. Yeah. Like you drive by the house, and, oh, Trump, huh? Oh, yeah. Look at that house. <laughs> that might I be right it. for me. I knew it. All <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right, figures. <laughs> Oh, what's that, a Prius? Yeah, that's a Biden vote. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, let's get into some questions. Question number one. I'm reading through the Bible with the congregation and have a question from Matthew 25 where Jesus talks about separating the sheep from the goats. That sounds a lot like saying good works helps us to earn our righteousness in heaven. Can you please explain this since we're taught that we're saved by faith alone? Yeah, so let's let's be clear. Absolutely, we're, we're taught throughout the balance uh, we're ta- taught throughout scripture that we're saved by faith alone. So Romans five, having been justified by faith, it's five one Romans five, one having been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Romans eleven six. It, it is by grace. It's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise grace is no longer grace. Paul says, so we're saved by grace through faith apart from anything we do. I, I feel like going Bible church works at that really, really hard. The, what I would call gospel clarity. I had mentioned I'm watching the West wing. Yeah. Yeah, you've dropped that a few times. Mm-hmm. A few times. Okay, so we watched some last night. The biblical <laughs> overtones in West Wing are stunning. Last yeah, night's yeah. episode was called Isaac and Ishmael. I mean, it just it goes uh, on and mm-hmm. on and on. Right. He's now uh, Martin Sheen has now provided gospel <laughs> is, clarity. We should make this a segment on the I podcast know. before the questions. I, I actually, Kelly's <laughs> West Wing update. <laughs> I'm actually, I actually think that you could run a curriculum based on West, uh, a biblical curriculum where oh. you say, all right, well, what in this is true? And how did Martin Sheen, did he get the gospel right? Martin he was, you know what's hilarious? Is in like four episodes, the, the show's going to take a radical turn Uh-oh. and Kelly's going to tell everybody. He's gonna <laughs> die. And, and whoever's <laughs> listening no, who's watched the whole thing knows it's like, no, oh, this isn't going to no end idea. We're He's in season two, in season by the way. Two. Oh, you're still in season two. I was like, how far are you now? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're saved by grace through faith, apart from anything we do. Uh, Matthew chapter 25 is an interesting um, story by Christ. Uh, so he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so that's the background. He's talking about the return of Jesus. He says, all the angels with him will come. He'll sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and there'll be this judgment. So I'm reading Matthew 25. Uh, and he says, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. 
I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous answered, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. So the setting is judgment. And the commendation in the judgment is the care um, provided by the followers of Christ for the least of these, those who were in need, needing food, needing clothing, hungry. Settings judgment, the commendation is, or the reward is meted out, given out, because these sheep have cared for the least of these, uh, and in so doing have cared for Christ Jesus himself. So it would be easy, and I think many do, form a conclusion that, oh, we get into heaven based on how we behaved. Did we behave nicely and care for the least of these? Did we share our resources and visit those who are sick and in prison? It would be easy to draw that conclusion, but let's read closely. First thing we need to read is, the sheep and the goats are separated based upon their identity, not their behavior. We see that their identity is key, rather than their behavior in a number of ways. So the separation takes place before the judgment. And so the separation, um, the sheep are separated from the goats. And, and the verbiage used in verse 34 is, then the king will say to those on the right, the sheep are put on the right, come you who are blessed by my by the father. This, this notion is that the father... and it's a, it's a relational metaphor. It's a, a relational reality. It denotes God's autonomous decision and action. So the Father has blessed these folks. So the mm-hmm. Father has selected these folks. It's originated with God. These are the, these are the ones the Father's blessed. So, and then in verse 34, it's, it's an, notice it's an inheritance they're receiving. It's not wages in which they've earned. In other words, this is a matter of relationship. Uh, God the Son says, these are the ones that God the Father has blessed. Come receive your inheritance. Well, an inheritance is something based on relationship. It's not based on merit. I've done nothing to receive my inheritance from my dad and my mom. And then finally, uh, verse 35, we note here that this relationship was established from the creation of the world. Before these folks were even alive, um, Jesus says that when he comes, they'll receive the kingdom prepared for them since their creation of the world. So there's the, separ- the separating of the sheep or the culling out of the sheep or the identification of the sheep happened before the sheep were born. These, this is all founded on the purposes of the father. Is that making sense? Yeah, actually, I really like your um, <clears throat> your comparison to wages mm-hmm. of it because to earn a wage means you've done something to earn that. Yeah. But so I feel like that actually the helps it make piece, a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah the impar- inheritance piece. Second, it's fascinating in this parable because the sheep are unaware that they've been, they've done good works mm-hmm. for which they're about to receive a reward. So 
we shouldn't conclude that this description of judgment is teaching salvation by works because the sheep are completely unaware mm-hmm. that they've done good mm-hmm. works. They say, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? When, when did we do these good things? And then if you read on in Matthew 25, uh, you'll note that the goats are condemned because they failed to do this, but they're completely unaware of their failure to do good works. In other words, the sheep acted righteous, not because a reward was coming, but because it was a part of their identity. Mm -hmm. It came natural to them. And the goats acted unrighteously for the same reason. It was a part of their identity. They actually thought they were doing good works, is my guess. The goats did. They didn't realize that they missed doing what they were supposed to do because it wasn't a part of who they were. They weren't in relationship with the Father. Is this making sense? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that's helpful for me in uh, in a lot of these cases where it sounds like, man, it sounds like the Scripture is saying this, is to flip it around and instead of saying, I'm getting into heaven because I did the works, okay. but to flip it around and say, I did the works because I'm getting I'm into heaven. I'm headed to heaven. You're and right. so it's just, it's a characteristic in nature of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. of, of being transformed. Yeah. Right? right? It is. Yeah. And when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, we're going to do good things because of what God's done in our lives. So it's, it's similar fruit. to this. So it's his fruit. Yeah, right. In us. Yeah. That's why they didn't know they were doing the good. Right. Because it was just part of their overflowing of what God had yeah. done for them. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. All right. Let's go on to more animal questions. Question number two. <laughs> Lambs among wolves is not an easy assignment. What do we do to help the evangelist fatigue at GEBC? So this is a question that was posed to me in the parking lot after one of the services. Um, It was actually a visitor came up and and Mm. said, what do you guys do around here to encourage people who get discouraged in sharing their faith? Throw an 80s party. Okay, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) Well, and we laugh. you like, we don't have anybody that <laughs> faces fatigue. What? What discouragement? <laughs> what church has you been at? <laughs> well, we laugh about the 80s party. I mean, Matt, I know your heart, and I know Jen's heart, and we've talked about it. Our longing is to get to know our neighbors. It was intentional. Yeah. 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 Our longing is to get to know our neighbors. I watched all the time, schlepping all that ke- sound equipment over to your house. I mean, it was a lot of pick mm-hmm. and work. Did you have Kelly then jump up like... After like the first little set and like do like a Jesus, little Jesus <laughs> yeah, juke. Totally, totally. No, we did communion. We didn't think that'd be weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> Baptize somebody. Let's, let's, let's bring the music down here. <laughs> Does anyone know what the word intinction means? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in forever. All right, everybody having fun? All right, we're going to turn the music down here a little bit. Kelly, you want to come to the mic know, and share yeah. a little bit for us? Uh, <laughs> Jesus juke. John, you're the one that made me aware of that term. <laughs> I have used that term a lot in the last few weeks. So a Jesus juke is when you're, you're apparently trying to get to know somebody. You're trying to build a relationship, and then out of nowhere, or you've invited them to be a part of something. Yeah, it's like, hey, it's a hey, I'm going to get a bunch of guys over, and we're going to mm. watch the game together. I'm going to order up some pizza and everything, and, and, and get the game on, and, the, and then halftime comes, Someone and all of a sudden your pastor shows up and is like, hey, I just want to share with you guys a little bit. And, and your friends are like, what? I thought we were just watching the game. Like, total Jesus juke. Yes. <laughs> and it's the point of the, to avoid the Jesus juke, the, the point is there, there is a time and place, and we should follow the Spirit's leading on that. It's not that we're never 
to catch people off guard. No. Uh, people are caught off guard all the time when I bring really? up Jesus. So it, it's, that's not a bad thing. It just needs to be... We, we can't jerk people around in relationships. So, so inviting them to an 80s party only to waylay them right. with some odd spiritual stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, yes, we, we want to share the gospel at some point. Uh, before that, I want to know my neighbors. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe I, this helps with, with the fatigue. Let me, you know? let me be honest with you. Yeah. So completely honest. So we've been in our house on this block uh, 19, over 19 years, almost 20 years. We have run a block party for... I'm going to say 15 of those years. Mm. Um, and what we would do is we'd do a block party in August before we're back to school. And then we'd, we'd pass around flyers in September saying, hey, anybody want to be a part of a Bible study? We're going to launch a Bible mm. study in our neighborhood. So we've run a Bible study forever in our neighborhood. There was a neighbor who came, and there was a neighbor who came out to the 80 party, 80s party on Sunday afternoon that has never, ever been to one of the block parties that I hosted. Wow. Mm. I was, I spent the entire, she, she was she one of the people dressed in the 80s years. gear? No, it was great though. <laughs> Came I out mean, of his house. I just, yes, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> I don't know what, uh, the point is, I, I guess, the point is it takes, it takes different, yeah. different yeah. things. And uh-huh. yeah. you know, there's, um, so there's methods, models, and methods of evangelism. There's there's hundreds and of books written on how mm-hmm. you do evangelism. So there is some like some science and method behind it. Mm-hmm. Like as you there's so, there's study some culture are, and what works sense. and all that kind right. of stuff. But the 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 foundation of all of it is relationship. Mm-hmm. The in in the age that we're in, the the large crusade event that was huge in the '60s, yeah. '70s, '80s, and even into the '90s. There's 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 so few of those events now, and people aren't hmm. aren't drawn to them like mm-hmm. they used to be, and and it's, so times change, methods change, models change. You know, doing yeah. a, a block party in the middle of COVID that's '80s themed that's a ton of fun. I can see how that would bring people out more than maybe some of the traditional methods that yeah. we would typically do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, my my point is, you know, it's it's it's. Reading culture, knowing your, yeah. being a good friend and neighbor is the, yeah, the, right. the first, first step, step in mm-hmm. all of it. Yeah. I feel like addressing fatigue. Yeah. If you see somebody as uh, a, a project, project yeah. to mm-hmm. where the end goal is to evangelize them, if that's how you see it, you're going to be fatigued yeah. Quick, 99% quickly. of the time. Mm-hmm. Be- I mean, yeah. right? Like, and they're not going to be a very good friend. Exactly. Like, yeah. Truly loving our neighbor right. means loving them, if, even if they never give a mm-hmm. listen to the gospel that you want to share with them. Truly loving them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because flip this question around and apply it to just like, how do you get past fatigue of having friendships? It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? That's mm-hmm. weird. I don't, I mean, yeah, some friendships require a little more investment than others and some are more, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. get more frustrated, but. I think it's a brilliant you, point you make. If it's, if evangelism is simply a project, you're going to get worn out quick. Yep. But if you truly, if you're loving the people that you're you're wanting to share the gospel with, then you love them regardless of whether or not you ever get to share the gospel or whether or not they ever accept you. Mm-hmm. This neighbor who showed up, so I'm, no, no joke, I was in my house one month. We were talking over the back fence. He says, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh. I said, do you have a church home? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. 
But he was out but he was with at his the jeans jacket. Mm-hmm. And but you, you know what? And I have a friendship gloves. with him. He and I Marty enjoy McFly. each other. <laughs> he and I enjoy each other. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, you, and, and I, that wasn't the end of the relationship, no, right? You weren't like, no. okay, fine. Door no. closed. Off no. to the next I'm person fatigued. to try to evangelize right. that person, right? Like, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, fatigue is real. I, I, I've been discouraged. I'd love mm-hmm. to see more people baptized at Glowing Bible Church than get baptized. So I've yeah. had my moments of feeling like, ugh, why, why isn't this happening for us? Um, but one of the things that, the only thing I could offer this guy that, that came and asked me, what do we do to help with fatigue is, well, we, we talk about our discouragements. We're, we're very open with, hey, we're trying this, and, or, and this is working, and that's not working, and, or we're seeing the Lord lead in this way, but not in that way. We, we, we're, we're not a church that encourages people to fake mm-hmm. everything's going well. Right. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Be, and, because, and we don't have to be that church because the Lord's growing his church. It involves me, but it's actually his his work, and and it's it's not an excuse to be lazy in my evangelism, or poor in my presentation, or confusing in my presentation of the gospel. But it is it's the Lord's building His church. It it takes the weight off my shoulders. I can be free. I can be honest with. Gosh, I'm not very good at this, or it's not going very well, or very few people in my neighborhood <laughs> have any interest in hearing what I have to say. You know, we can be honest about that. Um, and encourage each other. Yeah. So, all right. Um, question number three kind of piggybacks off question number two a little bit. How do we train people to share their faith at GEBC? Yeah, this is this was asked by an, another person in the parking lot. Um, you know, if we're supposed to be sharing our faith, how do we? How are we training folks? Um, one of the things that that we have done is work really hard not to separate evangelism from disciple making. When there, we used to have line items in our budget that one of the line items was titled evangelism. And then there would be other line items with other programmatic titles. And so you got the sense that people were either involved in disciple making activities like prayer, women's Bible study, uh, men's Bible study, or they were involved in evangelism. And, and that subtly says that there are two different um, efforts going on in the church. And so the, the truth is, if a church is making disciples, then evangelism, they're making evangelists. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can't separate and so what we've tried to do here, and we've read some books as a staff, and we've actually said every, every effort we have, every programming, every gathering, small groups, women's Bible studies, label, ladies' Bible, you know, men's Bible studies, we're, we're going to try and include some evangelistic emphasis. And so I started from the pulpit as well, um, trying to be really deliberate in my, my presentations of the gospel. So... Um, we try to integrate evangelism into disciple making. So, urging parents to share their go- the gospel with their kids at communion or around the communion service—that's the integration of, of, of the effort, evangelism and discipleship. I think it's it, you know, a little bit more clarification on what you're saying is like. A, a few years ago, we made an, a conscious shift. I, I think we called it like a two-degree shift or something like that, where we said any and all programming at Glenall Bible Church. 
um, should and will include folks that are either new to the faith, have no faith background, are skeptical, that you you could be comfortable inviting your unchurched or um, non-Christ-following neighbor to a women's retreat or a Bible study yeah. or a student ministry event or something like that, that all these places would have on-ramps for people to feel like they could invite people, you know, traditionally you would think, okay, men's Bible study, that's guys studying the Bible. They already know Jesus. They're further along in their faith. And so there's been a, not that the programming inside the group necessarily changes a whole lot, but there are, there's a conscious effort from the staff who are leading that ministry and their core volunteers to say, anybody, we recognize. yeah, anybody could come. We recognize that people that, that don't know Jesus are now unchurched will be here or could be here, and we will work We're to include accommodate. Them. Yeah. So, yes, that's exactly... Because it, And it, I tried to make that... Let me give you some examples. That, so when we made that two-degree shift, I forget the name of the book we read. It was a great book. Organic Outreach. Yeah, thanks. Yep. So it was, a great, it was a great book. I tried to shift the pulpit ministry two degrees by saying things like, hey, I, it, today, if you're here and you're checking out the claims of Christ, welcome. Right. This is a safe place to learn. We love. Uh, we were everybody in this room at one point was trying a church out for the first time at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be new. It's okay to investigate. Mm-hmm. So just acknowledging that um, folks that are investigating claims of faith yeah. are in the room, are in our programming. That's that's a part of it. Yeah, we've done a lot of work. Even I know I have, and I know you. You have, I think everybody that's preached in the, has done some even changing of words and stuff that we use that would, that feel really churchy or inc- yeah. really closed and inclusive. You know, it's, it's from, um, and I've noticed you've done it. I've, I've done it a few times as well. When we talk about even the gospel of Luke, we talk about, it's a letter written by a man named Luke. Mm-hmm. We don't say in the mm-hmm. scripture, mm-hmm. Luke says, we do say that from time to time, but no. we are more uh, conscious of the fact that, man, if you are coming to the parking lot for the first time, neighbor, and you hear somebody say s- right. scripture, they might not know yeah. what you mean. They might, it doesn't have the... Or it's intimidating. It's intimidating, mm-hmm. totally. Like, oh, they're talking about something inclusive that I don't know. But yeah. if you talk about an ancient, you know, book called the Bible that was written, you know, by a, man, a letter by a man named Luke to help his friend become certain of Jesus... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That I can engage with that differently than maybe mm-hmm. some of the Christian ease type language. Now, how would you respond to somebody who's hearing you say the, these things, hearing you talk about those things, and and they may they might say, "Man, this church is just starting to go seeker friendly. They're just yeah." I would mm-hmm. say, and we've had people say when we make some of those changes because, and maybe our listeners are unaware of it. There are strong disagreements. In the Christian community, surprise, surprise, <laughs> over what should be going on on Sunday mornings. And so we are, we are decidedly, committedly a believers-focused church on Sunday morning. We are, we're going to sing uh, songs that, with lyrics that only believers can truly affirm. Like, it would be hard for a non-believer to sing some of the lyrics we sing about loving God and uh, celebrating the gospel. So it's, it's a believers-focused service. When, when I'm preaching, when we're preaching, um, we're, 
I, I often think of, you know, there are A students, B students, C students, D students, F students. And so we're, we're trying to grow our disciples, believers, but we have people all over the room with different mm-hmm. understanding, uh, ability level, familiarity with the, with the word of God. So we're just trying to take all that into account. Um, so we've tweaked our programming in order to make it more accessible. We've t- tweaked our language in order to make um, the concepts more ac- accessible. But we haven't changed our doctrine, our no. passion, our trajectory, our philosophy. We haven't changed our philosophy of ministry. We, we also have urged those who are leading programs, who have the microphone, to invite people to trust Christ right then. Yeah. And so there were years and years and years when a clear invitation wasn't often made at Glenelg Bible Church. Um, but now we, I'll say something like, and, and the reason I point this out, when on Sunday morning I urge people to accept Christ, then I'm speaking to potentially non-believers who need to accept Christ, but I'm also training believers who throughout the week may have the opportunity to lead someone That's to good. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even believers are getting something out of that. In fact, I had a young couple in their 30s who had been attending here for a couple of years come up to me and say, you know, every week when you say, pray that you can begin to trust Christ right where you are, right in your seat, uh, just simply talk to God as you would talk to your best friend and say, thank you for sending Christ. When, every week when you say that, my wife and I, we do that. Hoping that it would, it'll take. They're out of a Catholic background. Mm. But there, there are people coming to Glenelg Bible Church, arriving here, having never expressed, verbalized a trust in Christ, wanting to begin that journey. And so that it helps them to do that, but it also trains our congregation. Hey, when you meet somebody at the office or at school and they want to begin trusting in Christ, you know how to do mm-hmm. it now. Yeah. It's like talking mm-hmm. to your, talk to God. Those are all great things. Uh, a question, the next question is about what you're talking about. Um, why do you suppose GEBC isn't seeing more conversion growth? Well, so what is meant by conversion growth? Yeah, people, I, people that are, for the first time, uh, verbalizing their decision to follow Christ as Savior. I, I think one of the reasons is we're in a highly church community. So DuPage County has a million residents. Of the million residents in the 2010 census, 50% self-identified as Catholic. DuPage County is a Catholic county. St. Pat's claims in their parish, which St. Pat's is out our back door here, they claim 30,000 in their parish. So one of the reasons we're not seeing the classical conversions, uh, first-time confession is many people who come here grew up in the church, whether a mainline denomination, the Catholic church, whether a Protestant denomination or a Catholic church, you know, most people in this county have heard the gospel. They may not understand the gospel. Um, I should also say that the church in America isn't growing real fast. Um, Only 10% of the churches in America are growing by conversion, um, which is that's difficult to hear. We need to be praying that the Lord revive our church, that we be sharing our faith more. Um, of the churches that are growing, th- that those 10% that are growing by conversion, most of them are church plants 
are new campuses of older churches. So the best way to reach out right now in America is to start a new church or to launch a campus from a church. Those are the people, those are the efforts that are seeing conversion growth. Why is that? Well, it has to do with, um, the near as I can tell, like we planted church over a decade ago now, I think it's 12 years ago now, um, and, and it doesn't have a steeple. There's most people in our county, most people in America have some baggage. They have some, they have a reason why if they're not waking up on Sunday morning, going to church, they already have a reason why they, and so when they wake up on Sunday morning and say, I'm going to give God a chance, I'm going to try again. They're often looking for an atypical gathering spot, a warehouse, something different, something. I should also say the effort required to launch a new church or launch a new campus brings with it the energy and the passion Mm-hmm. that often sees results. You can speak to this, Beth. You went out on our church plant. We did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we sent our, our most passionate evangelists out, right? I mean, these were the people committed. You were. You were I mean, committed. Yeah, yeah, sure. Was yeah, of course. Yeah, but they let the mosses. I mean, it's like, can the mosses come? Can the mosses come? I'm not sure they're going to They've asked like 10 Though times. we did. Can we just <laughs> give this one a pass? And... <laughs> We begged and begged, um, but we did have to push ourselves out of our comfort zones and actually go invite people in the neighborhood and tell them what was happening. So it did require a certain amount of passion and drive, like you were saying, commitment to it. I think um, I'm not trying to say that we aren't or that we are seeing conversion growth in the in uh, as much as we are happy with or whatever, but I do think we need to realize what conversion often looks like. Um, you're talking about people coming from a Catholic background who may not have um, what we would use the term like a, a personal a, yeah. relationship with Jesus. It's more of a institutional. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I know of, of several in our church and some guys that I've spent close time with who said, I, I knew God, but my faith did not come mm-hmm. alive until mm-hmm. I came to Glen Ellen Bible Church with my family and started worshiping and learning mm-hmm. and growing. And, and now I would say I'm a believer and I wasn't when I started. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't always put those folks on the stage and celebrate mm-hmm. it as a conversion. But, I mean, some of our uh, adult baptisms that we've had over the years, we've heard that story, right? Like, yeah. I didn't know Jesus the way I know Jesus mm-hmm. now. So the question that then is, so was that a growth by conversion? Yeah. When were they born again? When were they born again? <laughs> right. and well, when you it, say conversion, I think of something dramatic. Oh, totally. We know? think of, yeah, the, the drug, drug addict who didn't, right. you know, and uh-huh. then all of a sudden, you know, life radically changed. I think that we experience lots more conversion from darkness to mm-hmm. light, from from you know, from dead to living than we often mm-hmm. realize. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because in in our church and in many churches like us and in our community, um, those things are happening in smaller groups, one-on-one with a neighbor who who is sharing faith, you know, coming to church and sort of over time, there's this realization of, man, I am not the person I was when I started. I have changed and mm-hmm. I am saved today. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I was when I started. Yeah. We, we hear those types of stories 
my um, a lot more. My little book, Following Jesus, that we try and hand out, has a story in it of a woman who came to Glenelg Bible Church and was a part of women's Bible study for two years. She finally stopped me in the hallway and says, I am, I'm so frustrated. Why does everybody keep talking about being born again around here? So she had been in our community, in our fellowship for two years. She was a Catholic uh, by a family of origin, Catholic. And I said, well, would it help you to know, would it comfort you to know that it's not our words? Jesus actually used that verbiage in John chapter 3. She said, well, yeah, that helps a little bit. And so I read the chapter to her. You must be born again. She goes, I, okay, I need to think about that then. She emailed me a week later, and all this is detailed in the book. She emailed me soon after and said, okay. I think I've been born again and just didn't realize it. I didn't have the verbiage. Mm -hmm. To your point, John, yeah. she goes, I have come alive. Something different's happened, mm -hmm. and now I'm understanding what's happened to me. Mm -hmm. It was powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. All right. Uh, last question. Hey, can I say one yeah. more thing on question number three? Uh, so I'm going back to questions about... Which is a, how do we train people to yeah. share their faith at GBC? I, we've also... I've also... I'll be honest with you. I, for the, for now, I've given up on the let's sit in a classroom and let me let us teach you how to share your faith. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a season in the '90s <laughs> when some of the best churches in America were creating curriculum around here are the steps to sharing your faith. Um, we have shifted here at Glowing Bible Church to what I would describe as real time training. By that, I mean we run a, a monthly outreach at Glowing Bible Church for men. It's a fairly small effort, but it's, and it's, it's called the Boathouse. And, and there are some uh, men from Glowing Bible Church who go to that regularly, and I describe it as real-time training. We're in the room. There's 20 other non-believing men in the room. We're cultivating friendships, and then we're, we're, we're in the water, so to speak. We're not in a classroom saying, here are the four steps. If you get your opportunity at work this week, then you'll want to go through steps one and two and three. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, enough with the classroom. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, when you learn to swim, you do it in a pool. Mm -hmm. Right. So. It's daunting mm -hmm. to me to think about, like, I'm in a conversation with somebody, and I'm like, oh, what are the steps two? Oh, and then the next day, I'm like, oh, I just blew it. <laughs> I, totally I forgot missed, step two. I totally missed step and, three. And, you know, so I It sounds horrible. Were you, so far. I, know, I, know, I know, I know. Were you guys ever a part of... Um, and I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to hope that we haven't done this recently. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up in the church I grew up in, there was a Sunday that was like all around um, leading up to the Sunday was, you know, it's outreach and evangelism Sunday. Yeah. Like our marketing and everything. Mm. And Bring it, it always friends. caught me off. It always caught me off guard. Like when, 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 you, when we're going to do like the classic car show outreach event and you put this big mm -hmm. sign in the yard that says classic car show outreach, no one that needs to be outreached comes to Shows that. Up. What are you doing? <laughs> That's terrible. Anyway, so on this Sunday, the senior pastor would have two chairs, these two like comfy chairs on the stage. You're looking at me like you may have oh, done this no, recently. No. <laughs> I've never, I can't imagine and, where this is and, going. And then the, the senior pastor would sit there and he was in casual, totally like cash clothes. Oh, yeah. And then there would be like an elder who would pretend. Was he in casual clothes too? Yeah, totally. Okay. Would, like, it's like they just, you know, happen to be hanging out in the living room. <laughs> he would be in this other comfy chair as 
pretending to be someone who doesn't know Jesus. And then they would sit down and the senior pastor would be like, well, hey, Bob, how's it going today? This is spelled out, right? I mean, everybody in the congregation knows. I mean, he says, yeah, he says, my friend's mm-hmm. going to pretend we're yeah, going to do some role play. Yeah, we're going to do yeah. some role play. Yeah. And do it. But the, the whole thing, the whole sermon, like 35 minutes or whatever, was this fake conversation mm-hmm. where Bob would lob up questions like, yeah, but how can I know that I'm saved? Well, Bob, and you go through this whole thing and it was so awkward and painful. And it just made me like, are there people that don't know Jesus here in this room yeah. that are like, I don't know. It, it was oh, it was so off putting mm-hmm. and it was like, but it only, that only ever happened on that, on evangelism, evangelism Sunday. Sunday. It's coming evangelism Sunday. We're going to train <laughs> the church how to do evangelism. I'm thinking I've never like been in this setting where like I'm sitting in these comfy chairs with a neighbor in my living room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was I, so bad. You know what? They were trying. They were, they were trying, trying. <laughs> I, you know, but. They were, yeah. Or did you ever, wow, man, so much. <laughs> You've got Van- a lot of church baggage, oh, don't you, John? Oh, yeah, around <laughs> evangelism. It's hard in the Reformed world to. You know, you know the saying about evangelism. Non-Christians hate it, and Christians do too. Yeah, right. It's like the <laughs> dentist. Did you ever do like the evangelism explosion events? Yeah, Beth, you had to. No. What that? E-E. No. E-E training. We actually. Did I never did evangelism explosion training here. It's not horrible training. I mean, <laughs> Christians Christians get to know uh, the scripture in a deeper way, it's, and they do okay. get there, ready. There is some good. Yeah. There's. Sorry, it's I just. It, I, how we would spend all this time, and I, that's what I'm afraid that. When you get into, you know, some of the history you were just talking about, the line item of evangelism and those yeah. kind of stuff, we give ourselves like a pass we do. to do these like things that are kind of mm-hmm. not great. And then we never talk about the fact that you are a jerk in your neighborhood or that you do this or you do this mm-hmm. or you do this or, you, you know, that you're not like in your own life. How yeah. has your life changed? How are you? That's why people? I love the, the First, whole lambs you know, against uh, lambs among wolves. Totally. We should be sacrificial neighborhood. Our, we should be the best neighbors. Mm-hmm. realizing that we're here for them. It's not us against them. It's actually mm-hmm. us for them. It's not us and them. So much of the verbiage used around evangelism is us and them. Yeah, or, yeah. or let's go sell the, the mm-hmm. you know vinyl siding around the neighborhood. Here we go. Mm-hmm. We got a product and we need to peddle it mm-hmm. because we're supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, and undoing some of that over the past 20, 30 years, is, it's, that's difficult because you... I remember, I remember a, a pastor that I, I really liked and enjoyed, and and he said, if you're if the if the if you're talking to somebody about your relationship with Christ, and the end step is come to church, then you've fallen short. Don't just yeah. bring them here to the church and assume that because they're here at the church that you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Now that can be a part of a process. I mean, often that's a really good open door. Like, Hey, are you, are you a church goer? Where do you go to church? Oh, I'm not going anywhere. Hey, we'd love to have you come on Sunday. Yeah. That's not the end. Right. <laughs> the end is the follow up on coffee a week later that says, what'd you think? So I what, actually, you know, it's interesting and then, you bring that up. I actually led one of my neighbors to Christ and they landed at another church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because the goal any, is for, not, well, they came here <laughs> and, uh, 
the service that it was a Good Friday service. They were finally going to give the church a try. I remember this. It was a Good Friday service, and their kids were terrified by it. Oh. It was so dark. Was it the blood painted on the oh, door? Oh, yeah. That day? Yeah, it was a very... No. <laughs> Matt, you're laughing. I painted blood on a door. <laughs> Matt's face. Oh, Wait, on that specific service? That yes. One. I was kidding. I know. <laughs> I don't remember that Good Friday. Oh, models yeah. and methods, I folks. It There's out. models and methods. <laughs> well, we're a... And they were junior high kids, but it just oh. overwhelmed them. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's the wrong service to come to for a first service, right. don't you think, mm-hmm. for with kids? and I don't know. I, I guess. I, I mean, mean I, I, I remember I said, kids, this is just paint, but it's a, it's a, it's a imagery. It'll help us imagine. Mm. But it was still too gory. Mm-hmm. But they found a great church. And, and, yeah. and I... You know, I still vividly remember how I felt and what I thought when I first started checking out a church. And I started meeting people that did not fit into the category of, that I had in my mind of Bible thumper. That's what I thought about Christians before I started checking out this church back in Kansas City. Bible thumper, Bible thumper, Bible thumper. That's, that, was the, that was the term I used. That was what I thought. And what really moved me along uh, was, at least in my mind, what was moving me along. Obviously, I had no concept of the Holy Spirit's movement, but... What I was thinking was like these people don't fit into what I thought they mm-hmm. who I thought they were. For me, that was the and I'm no I know I'm I'm not representative of everybody, every seeker, every person moving over the line of faith. But for me, that was huge. Was meeting people who were just really nice people and they wanted to get to know me and they seemed genuinely interested in my story and mm-hmm. they weren't crazy and you know like I understood what they were saying when they talked to me. They talked mm-hmm. to me about normal things, right? You know, yeah. and it just, it's good. It was powerful. Good real life example. All right. Is that's that it? it. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us and thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.